You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you just ahead. But we begin tonight with breaking news. North Vancouver RCMP say charges have been laid against a retired elementary school teacher. RCMP say the teacher, Brian Moore, worked at Upper Lynn Valley Elementary between 1971 and 1982. That's on the same site as what is today known as Upper Lynn Elementary. RCMP arrested Moore last summer and issued a public alert after seven alleged victims came forward. Moore is now facing a dozen sex-related charges against 11 alleged victims, including 10 counts of indecent assault, one count of sexual touching of a person under the age of 14, and one count of sexual assault. These kids at 11 and 12 years old didn't do anything wrong. And many of these guys have carried their guilt and shame for their entire adult lives. Uh, many have suffered, you know, alcoholism, addiction, multiple marriages and things as a result of that condition. And um, this hopefully will let them let that go. We would like to thank the, those that came forward to provide statements. Without their courage, we would not be, be in the position that we are in today. RCMP alleged the first offense happened in 1976 with the la last accusation dating back to 2007. Moore is currently free without conditions. BC's housing minister says he's looking into changing a loophole that has a young Vancouver couple facing a huge rent increase. As Paul Johnson reports, they say they're being asked to pay hundreds more because they had a baby. 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 At just a few months old, Persephone's already getting a crash course on the challenges of BC's tight rental market. Ten days before the end of the month, he said that he was going to be charging us 20% more for the next month. Well, that would be a hit to anyone's checkbook. Consider the effect on a young couple who work in retail in Vancouver and have just started a family. Then, factor in that the landlord is allegedly jacking their rent because they've started a family. It was a huge blow for us financially. We do love our apartment. Well, Victoria Walsh acknowledges she signed a lease that explicitly says he could raise the rent in the event of pregnancy. She thought any hike would be reasonably tied to the increased costs of housing a newborn, not the hundreds more a month they've been ordered to pay. She might be right that the clause is not enforceable. Lawyer Ashley Sire says an increase that's grossly unfair or that discriminates on the basis of family status may not hold up. They're not permitted to discriminate against tenants uh, in any of the protected characteristics under the Human Rights Code. The landlord, Robert Boyque, hung up on us when we called him. And BC's leading landlord advocate, Landlord BC, also gave us a no comment. It's certainly disappointing to hear uh, that that's happened to this individual. BC's housing minister, Ravi Callan, though, did weigh in Thursday. We are looking at changes uh, in the future to uh, address this challenge. Uh, but in this case, I certainly hope that the landlord uh, finds a way to accommodate this young family. But there's no sign of that yet. Walsh has a hearing with the residential tenancy branch and a petition calling for changes to the law that would restrain a landlord who sees a baby bump and sees dollar signs. It's preposterous. She's a baby, she's not a roommate. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. 
Well, whether or not they have babies, a new report shows renters in Vancouver are getting no breaks. As Aaron MacArthur reports, Vancouver and other Metro Vancouver cities are leading the country when it comes to rents and rent increases. The towers keep going up and so do the prices. Rent in Metro Vancouver at an all-time high. According to a new report from Rent.ca, Metro Vancouver has amongst the highest rents in the country. The average price of a one-bedroom rental in Vancouver now more than $2,700 a month, which is nearly 24% higher than this time last year. Where rent is increasing the most is in cities like Richmond, Coquitlam and Burnaby. But around the province, it's the same story. In Abbotsford, rent is at the edge of affordability for Tanya Clifford. It's $1,000 more than I was paying at my last residence. Burnaby has pushed through an aggressive agenda of building. Metrotown, Brentwood and Lougheed unrecognizable even from a few years ago. But any thought this increased supply would push prices down has been quickly dismissed. A new Lougheed Tower is renting two bedrooms for nearly $4,000 a month. Economists say more supply is necessary, but more affordable supply is critical, an area governments have been neglecting for decades. There's really a critical role right now for uh, a government to reinvest in housing at a much larger scale than it's, than it's been doing. The provincial government claims it is taking the necessary steps, but lays much of the problem at municipalities' feet. The speed at, uh, that we're approving housing is way too slow in this province. And so working with municipalities to speed up that process is going to be vitally important. The opposition Liberals say the NDP and Premier David Eby spent years failing to grasp the problem. And only now as he started talking about, you know, gee, we might need some more new supply. Well, no kidding. According to CMHC, in order to meet the demand by 2030, Canada would need to build an additional 3.5 million homes above what's currently projected. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A man who was pushed to the ground by a Vancouver police officer almost two and a half years ago is sharing his story for the first time. Ken Johns says he was trying to speak with officers in the downtown east side when one sent him flying. Catherine Urquhart has the story. The video shows a VPD officer shoving a man to the ground. Oh, I caught that on video, man. His head hitting the pavement. It's the subject of an ongoing criminal investigation. And now the man who was pushed is speaking out for the time. I hit the ground pretty hard. Um, and for a couple of seconds, I didn't really know what was going on or where I was. Like, I didn't lose consciousness, but I kind of dazed out a little bit. The incident happened more than two years ago at Abbott and Hastings. Ken Johns says he approached police and questioned why they were going to put an elderly woman in a police wagon. He says he offered to pay for a taxi. At that point, he's just like, no, you need to step back. And then he put both hands out and just gave me a, a big shrug. And I fell back about 10 feet and cracked my head on the ground. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner initially deemed the incident unsubstantiated. After we aired the video, we were told the director of police services has initiated a Section 44 special investigation under the Police Act and that the RCMP has been directed to complete this investigation. Recently, the investigator emailed me and said that um, based on the evidence that they had, they were going to recommend charges um, to 
the prosecution or the, the Crown Service. Johns says the officer responsible should be held accountable for his actions. Evidence. Get your hands off me. Just What's like evidence? any other member of society. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. It has been nearly eight months since a cyclist in a protected bike lane was struck and killed in downtown Vancouver. Tonight, loved ones are wondering why the police investigation into his death has taken so long. Sarah McDonald reports. Nearly eight months since a cyclist was killed at this Vancouver intersection. Augustin Beltran's loved ones are still no closer to any sense of justice or closure. I really hope that the police finalize their report soon because it would be good for the family to just be able to move on from that part of this. Even though the collision with a dump truck that killed the 28-year-old UBC student was all caught on camera, a police report still has not been completed. In a case cycling advocates like Jeff Lee say should be pretty straightforward. Augustine was riding in a protected marked bike lane in the correct direction. He crossed in a marked crossing just behind me here. The vehicle that uh, that hit him uh, turned the corner. It, it's a legal right turn, but not when it's an occupied crossing. Vancouver police call the investigation complex, involving interviews with eyewitnesses, collision reconstruction, analysis and reenactment, and determining who had the right of way, saying investigators still have more work to do before providing an update. Until then, we don't know about any charges that may or may not have been laid against the driver. We don't know about any police report that may have assigned blame or provided more details. Beltran's parents and fiance are also waiting on those details before moving forward with any sort of claim, including to ICBC, in a case that's renewed calls for improved infrastructure legislation and driver education. Not only do we need to make sure that there's really safe, protected infrastructure for active transport, but we also need governments to regulate vehicles to make them safer for people both within and outside cars. Meanwhile, the passage of time is beginning to show at the makeshift memorial where Beltran died, a symbolic bicycle erected in his honour, recently partially dismantled. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Victoria Police are dealing with a serious privacy breach that has the personal information of dozens of people circulating among criminals. Vic PD says one of its officers lost a police notebook back in December of last year. The notebook was recovered five days later, but not before its contents were made public. Victoria Police say the notebook contained about 60 names and 50 addresses in Victoria, Esquimalt, Saanich and the West Shore. It says that information has been circulating among the criminal element of Greater Victoria. Police say the information was used to conduct at least one criminal offence in Saanich. They say they have been notifying the people whose information was compromised. Uh, you know, the focus today was uh, about that uh, very uh, element of notifying every individual whose name was compromised and uh, making sure that they're aware that their name was uh, shared out publicly uh, and how that came to be and, and give them an apology on behalf of the Victoria Police Department uh, and also work with them uh, on a potential safety plan or, or talk to them about their safety. Police say there were no names or addresses of witnesses or victims in that notebook, but they have asked the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner to investigate.
A house that once belonged to a man convicted of brutally beating a Kamloops teenager with a baseball bat will now be sold with the proceeds going to the victim's family. A B.C. Supreme Court judge made that ruling this morning in a civil suit. In June of 2016, Christopher Tykreeb beat then 18-year-old Jesse Simpson with a metal baseball bat, leaving him with permanent brain damage. Simpson's mother successfully sued Tykreeb for damages back in 2018 and was awarded nearly $7 million, but she says she's never seen that money. Today, the judge ruled Tykreeb had deliberately sold his home to his parents for $1 in an attempt to hide his assets from civil liability. The judge has now ordered that house to go on the market in April, and Tykreeb's parents will have to move out. The Conservative Party lands a seat in the B.C. legislature. Why John Rustad is switching sides and what it means for the political landscape next on the NewsHour. Yeah, the ultimate question, if we hadn't got to him that night, would he have died? Search and rescue crews calling for support. What they say is missing that could make all the difference later on the NewsHour. First, though, MLA John Rustad is joining the B.C. Conservative Party. Rustad was booted from the Liberal caucus last summer after making comments online questioning climate change science. Richard Zussman has more on the shakeup in Victoria. New political colors. And, and what I found is that is the direction that the Conservative Party wants to go, to be able to have uh, ideas brought forward, not to you know, block free votes, not to block people having the opportunity to speak. Longtime Machaco Lakes MLA John Rustad, now a member of the Conservative Party of BC, the party's one and only MLA. The Conservatives now one seat short of being an official party. Certainly if there are members of the House that are interested, I would be more than happy to have a conversation with them. Rustad was booted from the B.C. Liberal caucus last August after sharing tweets questioning the science around climate change. The Conservatives in this province have been polling around 2% province-wide, but as high as 12%, and they traditionally poll from B.C. Liberal voters. I mean, if I was uh, Kevin Falcon, the biggest thing I'd be worried about is the spoiler factor. I remember another John that used to be a member of our caucus that went over and joined the Conservative Party, and we know how that all ended up. That other John was John Van Donken. He joined the Conservatives from the B.C. Liberals, left again to sit as an independent, and lost in the 2013 election. Fast forward a decade, and all sitting Liberals have told their colleagues they aren't leaving. And I, I think the more opinions we get in this House, I think the, the better discussion debates we have. But you feel your best place to express those opinions is as a, as a BC Liberal? Currently, that's right. The BC Liberals, in part, planning a name change to BC United to keep Conservative voters and, as the name states, to keep their party united. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. So what are the implications for BC's political landscape? Keith Baldry joins us live from the legislature tonight. Keith, Rustad, of course, just one MLA. What kind of impact could this have on the legislature and the BC Liberals? Yeah, so the BC Conservatives, whatever form or name they've taken, have not been a factor in BC politics for decades. You have to go back to the Second World War uh, to have a, more than a couple of members. Their last elected member was 1978. But it's not a province-wide thing. They can have an impact on an individual riding-by-riding riding basis and split the vote, as Jerry Byer said in Richard's story. So go back to the 2020 election. There are a number of ridings where the NDP's margin of victory was less than what the Conservatives got. If you assume the Conservative vote is a lost BC Liberal vote, these ridings 
voting should have gone to the B.C. Liberals, and a lot of them are tr historically strong liberal territory, but they went to NDP because the Conservatives likely took enough votes away from the Liberals to flip the riding. Those are the four that went to the NDP, but there are other ridings in B.C. where the Conservatives showed fairly well in 2017 and 2020. Boundary Similkameen, the NDP won. Kamloops North Thompson held by the Liberals by less than 500 votes. Langley was, again, won by the NDP with the Conservatives polling strong, and Caribou North won by the Liberals, again, with a strong B.C. Conservative vote. So the concern for the Liberals is you've got Rustad now with more bringing higher profile to the party, potentially bringing others into the fold. They're going to get more publicity. That may mean more votes, and that may mean splitting the seats. But we put that question to Liberal leader Kevin Falcon today. Here's his response. Uh, I've been around long enough to know that most British Columbians do not think of themselves as left or right. Okay? They think of themselves as common sense. And what I'll, go into the, uh, what I'll be talking to the public about are policies that bring about results, improved results. So, John, after John Rust had made his announcement, the B.C. Conservative Party put out a very interesting tweet saying, welcome to the fold, stay tuned. So, in, implying perhaps there's going to be others joining that. Not sure it's a sitting MLA, but maybe some other uh, notable politicals out there will uh, run as under the B.C. Conservative flag. And they could have an impact in splitting the vote and determining the outcome of the next election. Always interesting in B.C. politics. Keith, thank yeah. you. Up next, renovation nightmare. I don't know how someone could do this, leave a family stuck like this. Families out thousands of dollars with a lot of work still left to do. And later. That's a, a woolly mammoth skeleton from Alaska. Precious mementos from around the world. A BC man puts his life on the road on display. Traffic is gridlocked both ways on Highway 1 through the KCR Tunnel tonight for no other reason that it's just busy and probably also the bad weather. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, renovations are often an exercise in patience, frustration, and stress. But tonight, the story of two families who have a warning for others. They hired the same company, and both say they're now out tens of thousands of dollars. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on their ordeal and how you can protect yourself. Anne? Thanks, Sophie. Both families say they had dreams of renovating their homes, but it all turned into a nightmare when they say the company they hired failed to complete the work. Now they are left on their own wondering how to make up for the financial loss. What they've done for us so far is they've installed the beam here. They've moved some gas lines and half framed this fireplace for us. Jordan Steiger's Maple Ridge home has been unfinished for months. He's still waiting for the contractor he hired to finish the job. It feels like we've been robbed and cheated. Back in October, the father of three and his wife, Sasha, hired Naughty Boys Construction, owned by Sam Orchard, to fully renovate the couple's newly purchased home. Jordan says he found the Maple Ridge-based business on Facebook, and after reading reviews, he hired Naughty Boys. Jordan says he handed Orchard a $39,000 bank draft as a deposit. Any phone call I made, he'd answer, he'd respond right away. But Jordan says that quickly changed. Very little work was completed and the excuses started piling up. This beam was installed behind us. He said he needed to pay for an engineer, pay for the beam. So there's another 10000 I would say we've given around 66000 with possibly 12000 15000 worth of work done. 
Now Jordan says he cannot find Sam Orchard of Naughty Boys. I don't know how someone could do this, leave a family stuck like this. Every time I walk in, I get angry. <laughs> Jennifer Carson has a similar story. Last May, Jennifer says after doing her due diligence, researching contractors and checking references, she hired Naughty Boys Construction to do a major home renovation. Jennifer says she gave Sam Orchard a $63,000 bank draft as a deposit. But a couple of months later, Jennifer says Orchard wanted more money, even though little work had been done. He kept saying there's delays, construction delays. Just like Jordan's situation, minimal work was completed, but Jennifer says Orchard convinced her to hand over more money. He was doing just enough to make us think that we were okay and in good shape. He's a very good salesman. A salesman Jennifer says she can no longer reach. She says she's out about $85,000. It makes you feel sick, right? And then you don't have trust. The Canadian Home Builders Association of BC says when it comes to renovators in BC, no license is required and that's a problem. Anyone can start a renovation company and there's no oversight right now from the provincial government. It's why industry experts say having a solid contract before you do any home renovation is so important. In both Jennifer and Jordan's case, there wasn't a formal contract. You have to identify the scope of the work, the value of the work, what type of material, how payments are going to be made. Consumer Matters went to Naughty Boy's business address where we were told Sam Orchard hasn't lived or operated his company out of that location for several months. He also couldn't be reached by phone. The number you have reached is not in service. And an email request to Orchard has not yet been answered. But we did find several civil suits against Sam Orchard and Naughty Boy's construction. Both Jennifer and Jordan have filed police reports. Ridge Meadows RCMP says it's actively investigating. Little comfort to homeowners like Jordan and Sasha, who are out tens of thousands of dollars, now left trying to figure out how to move forward. And the Canadian Home Builders Association of BC says when it comes to home renovations, you need to not only check references, but physically go and knock on doors and talk to homeowners. Don't rush into a contract. Take your time. And experts say it's not a bad idea to have the contract reviewed by a lawyer, especially for large renovations. Above all, make sure everything is in writing and don't sign anything until you're satisfied. The Canadian Home Builders Association of BC has more information on contracts on its website site chbabc.org and if you have a consumer issue for me you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca all right thanks Anne. coming up medical backup in the backcountry i think in bc what you really need is you need an advanced care provider the call for more critical care on search and rescue missions plus we're trying to be as flexible as possible Good news for struggling festivals. Today's big announcement that's music to the ears of organizers. Traffic is busy but steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge, which is some volume southbound towards the south end and the lights at Bridgeview Drive. Renew your ICBC Auto Plan online with BC's most trusted insurance brand. Just select BCAA as your preferred broker. Learn more at bcaa.com slash car. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, hold on to your seats because the show will go on after all. The B.C. government has announced millions of dollars in grants for festivals, fairs and live events. And as Jennifer Palmer reports, it might even revive one popular music festival that had already been cancelled. One day in your life shouldn't be a 
problem. Filling up venues and seats is posing a challenge for some organizations given the pandemic and rising costs of just about everything. But now music to the ears of many performers and even athletes who may see their organization get a financial boost from the province to the tune of $30 million in one-time grants. As long as the event is BC-based, it's eligible to receive as much as 20% of the total event budget up to a maximum of $250,000. We heard you when you told us that fairs, festivals and events are still facing really big challenges, including the loss of staff and volunteers, reduced attendance, increasing costs, supply chain sh shortages and other operational complexities. I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted in a way that this was such a surprise. One major event, the Vancouver Folk Festival. Announcing earlier this year, the 45-year-old show could not go on due to financial trouble. But this funding announcement means they can start to work towards Folk Fest happening after all. I want to be clear that it's not confirmed and we don't have a place. We don't even have one act booked. We don't even have an artistic, like we have nothing. But um, we have a bit of time and we have commitment. It's also a game changer for sporting events. Rugby Canada says its events are eligible and this funding will ensure everyone can take part no matter what the size of the event. And this also covers other events around the province which involves young people at clubs and community groups going out and playing. Um, so I think it's pretty exciting for everyone involved in sport. To get the funding, organizations need to apply. The deadline is March 3rd. Events between April of this year and December 31st of 2024 are eligible for funding to ensure their show can go on. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well, if you're injured in the backcountry, survival can all depend on just how fast medical help reaches you. But in many parts of the province, that help isn't readily available. Or rescuers may not have the tools necessary to save a life. Julie Nolan takes a look at what happens when the system works. Just before dark on a Sunday afternoon in late January, a rescue call came in for a paraglider who fell on the west side of Brunswick Mountain. Lions Bay Search and Rescue mobilized help quickly. Temperatures were dropping to minus three and the patient in his 30s was critically injured with a broken femur. On top of that, he's on a steep slope. Uh, legs uphill and he's immobile. Paraglider is fall from height and it doesn't take a big fall from height to end up with a dead person. Dr. Doug Brown is a volunteer for rescue when Lions Bay called them for mutual aid. Brown was able to talk to the paraglider over the phone as Brown rushed to the scene. He was able to tell us that he probably fell 50 feet. That right away just puts us on high alert. Interabdominal injuries, chest injuries, and that's, that's what people die from. Brown was able to be lowered to the patient from Talon's Dauphine helicopter and administered medication so the patient wasn't traumatized all over again while being pulled to safety. And that's what Brown wants to see more often critical medical care earlier in the rescue process. While Shock Trauma Air Rescue Service, or STARS, operates in places like Alberta, with emergency medical crews landing on scene very early at an incident, that doesn't exist in Western BC. Those teams of highly trained volunteers excel at getting in, finding 
these uh, these people who are lost. BC's emergency management has no plans yet to provide more resources for medical help. The femur fracture is quite high and proximal. But this physician is passionate more support is needed, especially as North Shore Rescue's provincial approval to use night vision goggles and hoisting continues to gain ground. I think there's a good chance that he would not have made it if we weren't able to rescue him that night. Thank you, everybody. After that life or death moment, the paraglider is now recovering from his injuries and forever grateful for the work of both rescue and medical crews that fateful night. Julie Nolan, Global News. Up next, from athletes to artisans. I have hand-painted every single set on my table. How the all-native basketball tournament is about much more than sport. Plus, a bird photographer finds much more than expected near Stanley Park. It is day six of the all-native basketball tournament in Prince Rupert, and while players took to the courts again, today there was another attraction off the court. As Zamadagahi reports, it's a chance to show off and celebrate Indigenous culture. As the action continues to intensify at the all-native basketball tournament in Prince Rupert, there are many connections also being made off the court. I have hand-painted every single set on my table. The artisan trade room at this event is a focal point for cultural talent, with indigenous artwork from around the province on full display. These are my own designs. I made them. It took me long to graph wow. down for beating. It features returning artists like Marlene and Greg Smith from Kichidukla, a village south of Hazelton. Thank you so much for your support. Next to them is Jackie Robinson, who for the first time has brought her art to the tournament. Earrings gives me a way to express a love for my culture in a way that I didn't know that I would be able to. Robinson grew up in East Vancouver, but is now a resident of the village of Kitwanga. When I first started painting them, I thought of my grandma and I thought of my mom. Many of the women that I know have broken cycles and we're continuing to do that. And that's what this is a symbol of for me. As the final games approach, the fanfare has also increased in the arena. 88-year-old Donald Brown Jr. played in the first tournament more than 60 years ago. He's been here for every game in the same seat. He's been a proud supporter. We bring him every year. In 2018, when they won, we were sitting here. When we walked back out in the hallway there, and he's... He said, I think I'm flying higher than them, than the players. I'm pumped up here at the 64th Annual All-Native Basketball Tournament. For the many that cannot make the event, there's also hard-working broadcasters making sure video and audio feeds are going to many communities. Over to Peltier. He's going to launch a three deep, no good. Them being able to do the play-by-play -play and bring that back, the excitement, to the communities is so important, especially during COVID, with not everybody being able to come out and attend the games themselves. Another example of how many people are proudly taking on key roles and responsibilities in making this historic event a success year after year. Imadagahi, Global News.
Great to see the crowd out there. All right, uh, let's check our weather forecast. Steph Florian, we brought her off the weekend so she could join us here on a Thursday. Nice to see you on the Great news hour, Great to be Steph. here. Thank you. <laughs> it's a little cold out there right now, though. We saw a couple dry days, but this front has arrived. As you can see, we've got wet weather tonight, this afternoon that arrived, and through this evening and through the overnight, we even have the potential of seeing some snowfall, some local snowfall, some wet flurries through the overnight into tomorrow morning, and then we'll start to see those clouds decrease. We're going to hit a high of 7 degrees tomorrow and hopefully see some breaks in those clouds in through the afternoon hours. So let's take a look at a few things that we have going on. We have a snowfall warning in place still for the North Columbia region where we are expecting another five centimeters of snowfall this evening. That should ease through after midnight. And then we also have air quality statements in place for the East Columbia as well as for Vernon where we are uh, having this dust situation and some pollution in the air. So there's our situation with this frontal system bringing snowfall and higher elevations and then behind Behind me here you can see this next system arrives Friday afternoon in towards the north coast and that will bring snowfall inland and wet gusty conditions for the coastal area. So tonight it is short lived but we do have that potential. There's a look at northern BC tomorrow so that rain really amps up in through the afternoon for Prince Rupert. Terracing some wet snow with a high of two degrees. We'll see snow for Prince George at two degrees as we head to the southern interior. We are going to see possibility of a few flurries in through the morning but then some breaks in those clouds for for Kelowna. Zero for Valmont sitting at freezing, Whistler at three degrees with a few morning flurries. Uh, in through Vancouver Island tomorrow, chance of some showers for Port Hardy, Nanaimo, as well as for the Sunshine Coast. And we are going to be getting some breaks in through the afternoon. But that potential is there for some mixed precipitation in through the morning hours. Saturday, we have a chance of showers. Showers arrive on Sunday and then it is very wet and windy for your Monday for Family Day. And let's take a look at our weather window, our central windows weather window. Look at this photo, Robert and Claudine took while they were flying of the Brocken Spectre in the low clouds north of Port Hardy. You can see uh, that light shining there. Very, cool, very misty. Beautiful. Lovely. Thank you very much, Steph. Well, a BC wildlife photographer got an incredible shot while trying to snap pictures of birds. Well, it wasn't quite what he was expecting. He did get a good sight here. Frank Lynn says he was stunned by the sight of orcas swimming near Brockton Point off the shores of Stanley Park. Lynn was with a group of volunteers conducting a water bird survey. The orcas could be seen um, splashing their tails and circling the water while attempting to hunt a seal not clear whether they were successful. All right, Squire Barnes is here. Hey. Hey. Can you tell us about I can. Vancouver's... I can tell all of us. The Whitecaps New Who the Whitecaps new sponsor is. Wow, that was... That I'm was sorry, the cheapest the... joke we've ever done. But it was a good one. It's not bad, because the answer is, of course, tell us. That's whose name is now on the front of the Whitecaps jersey, replacing Bell, of course. And the jersey's been altered a bit. Now there's some red in it, which actually was the Whitecaps' original colors back in the mid-70s. Really? They can bring back Super Socko? I'll be happy. And later, the man who started his own museum, how Jim Shockey made his childhood dream come true. Squire, take it away. I will. 
You might remember a few years ago, TELUS wanted to put its name on BC Place Stadium. It was very close to happening, TELUS Field, but it didn't happen. But they now have their name on a team that plays at BC Place. TELUS is the new sponsor of the Vancouver Whitecaps, which means it'll be their names, as you can see, on the jersey, which has been altered, as you can see as well. So uh, this is the promo video the Whitecaps handed out. The most prominent feature is the red border above the sponsor's name. It signifies that it connects the Whitecaps to Canada and also an homage to the original colors of the Whitecaps, which were red and white. Uh, the red is also part of a campaign to raise awareness for donating blood. Therefore, this is being called the Bloodlines jersey. Nice to see the Americans showing solidarity with the Canadians for what the Canadian women are going through with Soccer Canada right now, but they did agree to play in the She Believes Cup, and Canada was... You could just see it was a bit discombobulated with all that's been happening. I shouldn't say they agree. They were basically forced to play into it. Uh, Mallory Swanson scoring for the Americans. Unfortunately, Vanessa Gilles with the bad pass back to the keeper. Mallory Swanson scored again, and the Americans beat the Canadians 2-0 down in Florida. Well, the Canucks had two players go down in that loss to the Rangers last night. Curtis Lazar, although he might be able to play Saturday against the Flyers, and also Oliver ekman Larson, who, according to Rick Tockett, likely will not play on Saturday. He was hurt on this play along the boards. It looked like he hurt his left leg. He had x-rays today, but no further word yet on Oliver ekman Larson's condition. And another Canuck who got hurt last night was forward R2 Ratu while playing for the Abbotsford Canucks in Calgary, a game Abby 1-4-2. He left during the game. No word yet on what part of the body he hurt or how serious it is. Abbotsford is home Saturday night. They also have a Monday afternoon game for Family Day, 2 o'clock, against San Jose. Tiger Woods at the Genesis in Los Angeles. Pretty good finish for Tiger. This is the 16th hole. This is a birdie putt. Gets him the even par. Then he birdied 17. And then on 18, the approach shot here. Says he's going to really have to ice up the leg and ankle tonight. Puts this one close enough for a third straight birdie to end his round. And there's his buddy Rory McIlroy, who was in his threesome. And Tiger sinks this putt, much to the delight of the always large gallery. Adam Hadwin had a pretty good day. Minus four. As is another BC boy, Adam Svensson, Nick Taylor, two under par, and uh, Max Holman and Keith Mitchell have the lead at seven under. The first round has yet to be finished, so there's a couple of guys who still have to clean up, and then they'll start round two tomorrow. There is going to be an all-women's America's Cup yacht race next year in Spain, and Canada will have a boat in the race, and it'll be based out of Vancouver with Isabel Berthold, who is a two-sport star. She's a top-level cyclist and a sailor who learned to sail on English Bay, She'll be Canada's skipper. It's the oldest active international competition in sports. And next year, for the first time, the America's Cup will include a trophy exclusively for women. I feel very confident in being able to put the best team together and to lead the team uh, to ultimately win in, in Barcelona in 2024. Canada's team will be led by Vancouver's own Isabella Bertold. She's our country's best female racer, once ranking second in the world. 
and now her challenge as skipper of the first Canadian women's team to compete at the America's Cup will be navigating her team through uncharted waters. For years to, to be a professional sailor as a female was near impossible. Uh, you're often told you don't have the same experience and you go, well, how do I get the experience if the opportunities aren't there? And, and this is a big reset button. So we're now sailing the same boats that the men are racing, the, having the exact same amount of training time. And so we can really prove that we are just as competitive, if not actually more competitive and better sailors than they are on these boats. Canada's men haven't been at this stage since the 80s when they raced Canada 1 and Canada 2. More than 30 years later, Isabella's team is looking to put Canada back on the map. Each women's team at next year's competition in Barcelona will be racing identical 40-foot carbon composite sailboats. So we actually will be bringing the AC40 here to Vancouver for next uh, summer of 2024, which you'll all find very exciting. And you can imagine what it will be like doing 40 knots in English Bay with all the logs we have out here. Overcoming obstacles is something women continue to deal with in sports, and it's something Isabella is hoping to help change for the next generation. So a big thing that to do is inspire those 13, 14 year old girls to keep pushing on because there's pathways beyond the Olympic side and sailing. Um, there's the America's Cup side, the foiling side. Uh, there's open ocean racing as well and all of that is accessible now to women and I really hope to see um, more women on, on ultimately on all of the professional level side of the sport in 10 years time. A knot is 1.852 kilometers per hour. Sorry, what? 1.852 kilometers per hour. Okay, okay, that totally clears things up for me. I thought it would. Yeah, yeah. thanks. I'll do the math in my head. <laughs> okay. Still ahead, the BC man who's fulfilling a lifelong dream, creating his very own museum. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, late word of a deadly avalanche near Golden Avalanche, Canada says a group of six backcountry skiers and snowboarders were caught in a slide and two of them did not survive. Also a warning tonight for people who use Pacific Spirit Park near UBC. Police say there have been two recent reports of a young man following trail users and in one case he was performing an indecent act. This happened west of Spanish Banks near the 5300 block of Northwest Marine Drive. We'll have a description of the suspect at 11. Sophie? Sounds good. Thanks, Jordan. Well, when you go on a trip, chances are you bring back a trinket, a souvenir of your time wherever you were. Jim Shockey does the same, but on a much larger scale. And now those mementos of his travel make up the Hand of Man Museum on Vancouver Island. I walked through here. This is, this is memory lane. When Jim Shockey was just 10 years old, he set a goal to one day own a museum. If you drive in one direction for half a century and don't take any side roads, you end up somewhere. And, and this, is, this is where I've ended up. That's a, a woolly mammoth skeleton from Alaska. The outdoor writer and TV producer has been all over the world buying cultural art that's now displayed in his Hand of Man Museum in Maple Bay. It's, it's world class. His days traveling with the Canadian water polo team gave him an early opportunity to start this enormous collection. From those trips, I mean, uh, my coach hated me, you know, because I'd go with one small suitcase and come back with five, 
you know, and it would all be part of the, the team's luggage. Shockey's travels have been documented in his hunting productions and outdoor series, not just taking day excursions to learn about other cultures, sometimes invited to stay for two or three months. I want to be with you as you live your day-to-day, -day, whatever it is, whatever you're doing. His journey has put him in harm's way on more than one occasion. At the risk of my own life, if, it, if I made a mistake and, and it ended, you know, so be it. But I, I, the goal was more important. The museum is housed in the old public school his kids once attended, a place he hopes now can still help to educate. The artwork that's around here, the guitars, the, the clothing, the beadwork, it's, it's, um, it's done by human beings and we should be proud of that. Shockey's traveling is on hold for now, but he has two novels coming out soon based on all of his experiences, which was something else he also dreamed about as a 10-year-old. You get one life, so I wanted to live it to, you know, right to the limit. I think I did pretty darn good for the time that I had. Jay Durant, Global News. Wow. That is a life for sure. Now, if you know someone with a life like that, with a great story to tell, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. I bet he has some shocking stories to tell you. He sure does. Jim Shockey. <laughs> I'm on a roll. Uh, oh, good. We did have the, uh, the, the rib shot. Yeah. yeah. You've been there, Steph. I have been there. I've spoken with him. It's amazing. It, definitely yeah. go. If you are heading to the Cowichan Valley, you got to go. It looks very cool. All right, quick word on the weather before we go. Steph? Yes, we have the potential for some snow through the overnight at higher elevations, some wet flurries into the morning hours. That's all through the overnight tonight. We'll get a nice break tomorrow afternoon, and then we just have a chance of showers Saturday, but things get wet Sunday night into Monday, just in time for family day. Did we not do the snow thing already? <laughs> yeah, I know. Do we need to do it again? Make it end. <laughs> Next year. We'll do it again next year, hopefully. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for joining, everyone. Have a good night.